Hey, uh, I hope this recording finds you well and healthy. I'm going to be talking about a specific sutra today. Uh, chapter 1, Sutra 13. Patanjali says, Tatra sthitau yatno vyasaha. Essentially, translates to mean something like practice is the effort to be fixed on concentrating the mind. Okay, so essentially in the previous sutra we looked at, he presented the two things, Vairagyam, Abhyasa, practice, dispassion. In this one, he's kind of telling us this is what practice is. It's the effort of concentrating the mind. All right. So we know that, uh, you know, our focus is to achieve that citta vritti nirodaha, that place where there is fewer fluctuations in the mind. And the closer and closer we get to that, the better. It's one thing for us to actually exert effort in order to achieve a goal like, you know, fewer thoughts, more space, more clarity, but it's another thing to actually stay there, to remain there. And I'm sure you've all experienced this at some point where you've gone to a yoga practice, yoga class, you felt feeling amazing and then, you know, you get home and your flatmate says something that's really ticked you off and then and or your partner and it just kind of sets you on a completely different trajectory in terms of your headspace and where your mind is so you know this idea of really needing to remain in a very clear place with the mind This is essentially what Patanjali is saying here, you know, because we could look at practice as just being just that and show up, clock on, do the class, tick the box, give myself a pat on the back. I did my yoga class today. <laughs> and he's kind of saying, hmm. You know, practice is actually about remaining focused for some length of time. But inevitably, distractions are going to come up and we're going to fall over. We're going to struggle. This is the nature of mind. This is why it's called a practice. This is really difficult for us to understand. I think there are a number of issues with this one we're living through a time now where everything is instant, right? We've even got Uber Eats. So when you're hungry, you don't even have to leave your house. You don't even have to cook. You just get on your phone, press a couple of buttons and Bob's your uncle. You know, everything is so instant. So this idea of needing to practice is difficult, I think in certain cultures it's a little bit easier for them to grasp because 
practices are a huge part of their culture and because of that they've been brought up with this sense of um, practice and discipline. If we haven't, this concept can be even more challenging for us to grasp. We can actually achieve our goals in terms of what type of mindset we're trying to get to. So any of you who've been practicing for some length of time, you would have noticed some shift in your mindset, no doubt. But can you think about whether, you know, that state of mind that you achieve through your practice and if you're able to remain in that state of mind and for how long? So the effort here that we're making reference to in regards to Patanjali and this sutra is actually very much tied into maintaining a certain state of mind. And we talk about this a lot in our one-to-one sessions together on the mentorship just in terms of, you know, initially, very early on, needing to make certain types of decisions to maintain a certain state of mind. So, you know, maybe not spending time with certain types of people um, or excessive amounts of time with certain types of people that tend to really move us or trigger trigger a certain mindset. So in yoga, we know that it's never the object's fault, responsibility or issue. It's our own. Yoga places all of the responsibility on self, on us, and none of the responsibility on outside factors. So it's important though at certain points or stages that we understand that sometimes that little bit of space is required from certain types of triggers. The word yatna actually means appropriate effort. So it's just like anything. Um, When you're preparing for a certain event, you need to make the appropriate efforts and the appropriate preparations. For example, if I'm going to do a triathlon, I'm going to make sure that I make the appropriate efforts to complete that triathlon. I'm not just going to sign myself up and then show up and hope for the best, especially me because I've never done one before. If you're going to enter a beauty pageant, the type of effort that you're going to do and the type of preparation is going to be very different from the triathlon. I've never entered one of those either. There you go. They require a different type of yatna, effort. They require an appropriate effort. So here we go. 
back to one of the same themes. Every individual person is going to need different practices because we're all constitutionally different. What works for one person, what type of effort that's appropriate for one person is not going to be appropriate for the next. It's why you all say to me, why, you know, you talk so differently, you teach so differently for one person to another person. Why is this an absolute no-no for that person, but okay for this person? And it's because it's completely dependent on who you're teaching in that moment and what they need. Not only that, but over time, capacity changes as well. And what's possible um, now might not be possible next year. And what's not possible now might be possible next year. So capacity is going to change. And this is you know, all of you that have started out as a really regular um, student of mine at the studio and a regular practitioner, you will see how different my interaction is with you from when you first start to when you're on the mentorship to when you're teaching. It's completely different because your capacity is different. What you're capable of is different. Now, the goal can be the same the whole time. You know, we might have that goal of initially, you know, getting through the beginner's course, which it was for a lot of you that started with me four years ago, three years ago. And then over time, it's like, okay, well, I want to establish a daily practice. And then you do that. And then it's like, okay, well, I've been doing that for a while now. I like the idea of going deeper, going further. I want to know more. And then, okay, well, we look at maybe some one-to-ones or the mentorship and then so on and so forth and then becoming a teacher and then beyond that as well. So, you know, there are goals, micro goals along the way. And this is the deal with everything and how in Vini Yoga um, concepts are presented even in terms of a single class plan and then, of course, a year plan for an individual is completely different in that we have little micro goals then we have larger goals and we're always you know working towards larger goals with the little incremental tiny goals and there's a period of time when we're consolidating there's a period of time of growth and challenging and then there's a period of time of consolidating you've all seen me draw that stair the stair the image of the stairs so we grow We go up and we consolidate and we challenge. We go up and we consolidate and that process continues. Now, if we look at the individual and physical practice, Abhyasa, your effort in a practice should always be in line with the breath. This is a very important rule we need to remind ourselves of again and again. So any effort we exert should be in line with the breathing. If the breath is going to be fast and agitated, then the mind is also going to be agitated 
If the mind is calm, then the breathing is also going to be calm. This is important. You need to understand this being a priority in our teaching, but also in our practice. If you've lost the breath, you've lost the yoga. We have to come back, pull it back, simplify, rest, try again, modify. So this relationship between breath and mind, as far as Abhyasa is concerned, when we're looking at the physical practice, it's just extremely important. Whatever disturbs the breathing is going to disturb the mind. If you have a teacher that teaches a practice where the breath is like hodgepodge, the breath count is too fast, then it's not consistent, then it's up and down, then this is going to lead to students leaving the room feeling quite disturbed mentally. Remember the qualities of the breath that we're always looking for in yoga is dirga and sukshma. The breath is long and smooth. Long and smooth. Anytime your breath is agitated, you should see that as chitta vritti being, um, being chitta vritti nirodaha being much further along, further away from us. We're not moving towards ultimate goal. So, you know, there is such a thing as inappropriate abhyasa, inappropriate practice. And we see this a lot, a lot, a lot. You know, teachers teaching classes that are for them personally. You don't teach a class that you would do as a teacher because you're not teaching for you. You're teaching for the students you have in the room. You need to understand their capacities. You need to understand where they are. where their breathing is, where their body is, what they're capable of doing within appropriate parameters, using the breath as a guide. This is important. Teachers not placing emphasis on the breath at all. Students just wanting to keep up with other students. These are all of the issues that we see, plus many more, which I discuss with you in depth in our trainings. So this is what makes group sessions a real issue. We have to navigate it very carefully. Yoga ultimately is a union between body, breath and mind and spirit. They all come together. And so when we're practicing with a lot of intention and we're practicing from the heart and we're, you know, establishing a very appropriate practice, it's not mechanical in any way, then this is when the the good stuff happens. This is where yoga is really quite special. We can practice in automatic mode as well. You know, I'm sure you've all had that experience where you've driven from work to home and then you have no recollection of what happened on the path on the way home, you know just kind of on autopilot so you can do your yoga practice in that way as well and this isn't helpful or ideal we never want to practice like that abhyasa you know at the end of of a good yoga practice you should feel very light and positive generally a little bit more expansive 
And during the practice, during a good practice, good abhyasa, you should really constantly be checking in with what are the effects here? How can I refine this practice? Tune into what's happening with breath, body and mind, soul. So it actually requires constant checking in, constant modifying, constant refining. This is very difficult to do independently. You know, this is where as, our, as teachers we need to develop the skills, the know-how to actually adequately step in. If, we're, you know, if, we, if we develop our ability to read the body, to read the breath, read the facial expressions, to get to know our students, then we can, we can better guide them support them and deliver a class that's going to help move towards that their goal when we practice like this it's um, important to note that we're more likely to be in the present moment you know, when we're on autopilot, the mind goes, oh, yeah, bridge pose, one arm movement. I've done this a hundred times. And we start thinking about what we have to pick up at the shopping center and what we're going to cook for dinner and all of that stuff. Mind is gone. And, you know, yoga is also gone. And we've got to constantly bring it back. And look, it happens. It happens even established practitioners, goodness knows how many times. Some classes you come to class and it feels so easy and you're just in there and you're in the moment and you're so in the zone. And then other times you come to practice and it's like, mm, you got a whole gang of monkeys loose up in there. That's what it feels like. This is normal. This is normal, you know. And the thing we want to move away from, if that's the case, on those days is trying to explain, understand, rationalize, get caught up in get caught up in the stories. We just go, you know what? It's you know one of those days. Today's just one of those days, and then just come back to the breath. You know, create the space for whatever is. This is the issue a lot of practitioners have. What happens is they get on the mat, and for whatever reason, they're having a monkey mind moment. Some strong emotions come up. Some thoughts come up and then they, you know, like they get caught up in that and like, why am I thinking about this? And this isn't even yoga. And I'm not even like, this is useless. This time on the mat is pathetic. And like, I'm not even, I can't even get into the zone. And they have massive meltdowns and start crying and all of the rest of it, because there's so much of that holding on to what should be happening and what isn't happening. And so it's not always going to be easy. And, you know, there are going to be days and practices like that. And sometimes it's like that, you know, for days and days and days. And that's okay too. But if we create the space, if we go, okay, this is, this is my experience right now. Like this is happening. It's okay. It's just an experience. It's just a moment. It's going to move through because this is one of the basic principles of yoga. Everything is constantly changing. It's not going to stay the same then things move through so much easily, easier. It's, it's a completely different experience because there's less tension around the experience. There's less identifying with the experience. We can just kind of let it be and let it move in its own time, at its own pace.
you know, beyond this physicality, uh, you know, being on the mat, practicing physically, you know, we've got mm, yamas, niyamas, the eight limbs, ashtanga yoga, you know, putting all of this into practice. This is all abhyasa. You should know that. This is all part and parcel. Asana is just one piece, which you know. In practicing, it's 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 worth mentioning. Practicing asana for you know two hours a day, three hours a day, it ain't going to get you to where you want to go in terms of the goal of yoga. And I've had a lot of students come to me over the years, a lot. And they say to me like, "But I'm practicing like two hours, three hours a day, like every day. I'm consistent and." you know, my mind and we're just still not there and like it's, it's there's no clarity and there's no calm and there's a lot of anxiety and I'm not sleeping and when we sit down and we look at it, they're missing the other principles. They're not applying all of the principles to their life and this is really where, you know, the philosophy is very important because through these recordings, through this learning, through this time, this reflecting, there are principles that you can start to apply to yourself and your life and your understandings. It's called a sarvanga sadhana. It's an all-encompassing practices. It's not just one thing. Sarvanga, multiple-limbed sadhana, practice, specific intelligent practice, multiple. It's not just asana. It's not just asana and pranayama. The more clarity we have, the more we can move away from suffering. The more of the aspects of yoga we ignore, the more we're going to ignore of ourselves, our true selves, the further away from our true self we're going to move. The more clarity we have, the more our actions are going to come from that clarity, the more joy we're going to experience in life, the more connection we're going to experience, authentic connection. You know, and this is the danger of the philosophy, and I've already seen this start to happen, is that some of you, instead of putting into play the principles and the practices in your own life, have started to use the concepts and spit them out as just rhetoric. You're just repeating them just for the sake of repeating them to either put someone else on show or put yourself on show. And this is not yoga. This is not the purpose of what you're trying to do with these, these concepts and this philosophy. And there's so much of that already out there with, you know, all of this self-help stuff. Yoga is a practice. Abhyasa, practice, which means 
we take the information, we see how it applies to us, we reflect, we integrate the different limbs, we try to live slightly more consciously, we practice, we fall, we get up, we keep going, we fall again, we get up, we keep going. It's why faith is one of the key components in terms of the characteristics we need, as well as patience. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes time. Anything worth having takes time. So we have to be patient. We have to have faith in ourselves, faith in the practice, faith in the teachings, and we have to keep going. You know, Vyasa talks about concentration as this peaceful flow of the mind when it's free from vrittis. A controlled mind, one that is concentrated, it's not just going to come about for you. Like you're not just going to wake up one day. It's very unlikely. It has happened in the past. There have been old texts where there's, they mention these significant people, special beings that kind of wake up with these gifts or are born with certain gifts. But for the most of us, we have to work really hard and we have to have a certain amount of effort and we have to exert that effort every day. In the Bhagavad Gita, it's uh, there's a little mention in there and it says that the mind is harder to control than the wind the mind is harder to control than the wind it's very fickle abstinent and powerful Vyasa also mentions in his commentary that the most important thing is that the that um the effort that we do exert, the effort that we put in should be done with a lot of enthusiasm and vigour. So we shouldn't really ever be like, oh, yeah, I've got to do this. You know, occasionally it might, you know, that happens. Let's not fool ourselves. Sometimes it's like that. But for the most part, we want to try and be excited about it. And this is where, you know, as a teacher, and I've said this before, your students are going to know if you want to be there or not, if you're excited about what you're teaching them or not, if you're bringing energy or not, and they're going to reflect what you're putting out. And this is ultimately what it comes down to, to be a teacher. You are holding space for others. You are bringing your energy that you have to offer and you're giving it up freely to others. I cannot stress how important it is, especially for new teachers, to be mindful of what they're bringing into the space for their students. Having a practice that you do before you teach is a great idea. It'll help you immensely. Really tune in, get your mind into a positive place um, and come to that place of teaching with that enthusiasm as well. Um, needless to say, Tamas and Rajas, you know, these, these friends of ours, or not friends, 
um, you know, they're going to hugely affect whether our mind is in a state of peaceful flow or not. And so we want to be very mindful of things that are having a tamasic effect on our mental state and things that are having a rajasic effect on our mental state, like drinking coffee right before class or right before one of these talks. Probably not a great idea. Um, sitting in front of Netflix for a whole day before teaching a class, also probably not a good idea. You feel very tamasic after that. So we're trying to find that sattva and we're doing and employing different choices and practices in order to try and achieve that. If we're really honest with ourselves, our practice is constantly uh, afflicted by tamas and rajas, you know. It's very, very difficult to remain, you know, remain in that state of sattva, that, that, that very steady space. It's just very difficult to sustain. It requires so much effort and, and a really intelligent practice. And, you know, even if I'm honest with some of the classes that I teach, I know that, you know, they are going to have an impact perhaps that is a little bit more uplifting. And again, the issue with teaching group classes might be appropriate for some people in the room, but then other people in the room might not need the uplifting class. So this is why, you know, if you are teaching group classes, the importance of reading the space when you're stepping into the room, what's the energy like in the room, teach to that. Also, if there are people in your room and you are teaching more energetic sequences and you think that someone might need something that's a little bit more um, relaxing, that's going to actually bring them into a calmer state, then maybe referring them to a class that you know is going to be more appropriate for that state, educating your students about the types of classes they can attend, when and for what for. So all of these help. They help. They help you as a teacher and they help your students as well. So um, never be scared to say to a student, look, I just don't think this is the right class for you. And never be scared as if you're a practitioner, if you're practicing yoga, never be scared to say to a teacher, I don't think this class is for me. I'm just looking for something that's going to have a slightly different impact, a slightly different effect. Um, yeah, so such a truth, being honest and open about where we are and what we need. And I will say this just as a last final thought, wrapping up. What the mind wants isn't always what we need. There's dropping a big one at the last minute. But have a think about that. What the mind wants isn't always what we need. All right. Thank you so much for listening in on this. If you want to reach me or have any questions or comments, you can go ahead, visit www.yogainmotion.com.au. Shoot me through an email or leave a comment under the blog post corresponding to the recording. I love hearing from you. Those of you practicing in at the studio, I will see you real soon.
Take care for now. Bye.